This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. You're listening to the UAE's number one talk radio station. This is Afternoons on Dubai Eye 103.8. I am Helen Farmer. Fantastic to have you with us. On today's show, we are speaking to not one but two educators on the topic of reconnecting our kids to nature. What are some of the benefits, how to do it, some tips, some tricks, and even some products to help them get messy and love it? Principal Lisa and her daughter, Miss Autumn, were on hand to help. Dr. Thraya, clinical psychologist, was guiding us through the dark topic of shadow work. Prepare to self-examine, self-reflect, and learn about yourself too. Plus, we were meeting the students who are taking part in TEDx here in the UAE. Today we are stepping into the great outdoors, exploring a topic really close to my heart, the incredible benefits that nature offers our children. In a world filled with screens and schedules, it is easy to forget some of the profound impact that the natural world has on young minds and bodies. And we've got not one but two experts in the studio. Principal Lisa has decades of experience in nurseries, nannying, parenting, and she's kept very busy helping Dubai families with sleep and behaviour, potty training and more. So the text lines are open in those. And her daughter Autumn is here. She's on Instagram as Miss Autumn says, primary school teacher now running nature classes, explorations for children and a volunteer conservationist here in the UAE. We're going to be talking about where to go, what to spot, um, Autumn, I'd love to start with you. Welcome to the studio. I know your mum really well and it's so lovely to uh, to meet more of the family. How are you? I'm very well. Thank you for having me, Helen. My, my pleasure. Tell us a little bit about what sounds like a dream job. My goodness, when did your love of the great outdoors start, Autumn? And could you have a more perfect name? I know. <laughs> it's very fitting, isn't it? Um, yeah, so I think uh, like a lot of people, my experiences with nature as a child really shaped me into the adult that I was, that I am today. And I think um, my mum took me into the forest a lot as a child and she told me that fairies were real and I still to this day believe that fairies are real. Um, But yeah, so I went into um, early years education and primary school teaching in the UAE and since moving away from Cornwall, my home, where there's an abundance of nature and moving to the UAE, I realised that actually I felt like there was a big... um, a change of attitude towards nature and that's why I really feel like my calling is here and trying to get people outside and in touch with nature because those early experiences that I have have really shaped me into who I am today and I really want to provide that for children and families in the UAE. It's really interesting you say that. We had we have this, maybe, Lisa, this would be a great one for you. It's, it's a deck of cards. It's called Bukenia um, and they've got one for kids, one for everybody, one for couples and it's a deck of cards that have got questions on them and it's a lovely kind of conversation starter. Now that my kids will sit still at mealtimes mostly, we take them wherever we go. And they've got questions like, you know, if you were in charge of the rules in the house, what would you change? If you could, um, what's been your happiest memory? When was the last time you really laughed? And one of the questions the girls asked me at the weekend was, what are some of your fondest memories of childhood? And I was telling them about a stream that we used to go to. It was called Rowley Burn. So strange. In like rural Northumberland. And we would be for hours with fishing nets there was one bit of stone that was completely eroded into the slide and it was all slimy and we used to just be whizzing down it and I didn't even need to think about it and I wondered you know as Autumn's mum was that a conscious decision you know as a parent or was it just something that you you know took for granted and was just going to be part of normal life I think 
that I, I mean, I was a very young mum, so I had autumn when I was like 21 and the outdoors was free and it was in abundance. And so it was the easiest way to get out and about was to bundle all three of them in their coats and shoes and just head outside. And um, and I just think I was quite influenced at the time by having worked and studied in education about, you know, those thought leaders which tell us that children need to be outdoors. And I think children are a bit like dogs. You have to walk them. <laughs> you need to go to run, like a big, looks like a Labrador, especially the boys. You need to let them, let them run wild They a are bit. like dogs. You've just put them in a field and they're perfect, children. <laughs> well, let's talk about some of the other benefits of outdoor play, Autumn. When, when you think, and I'm, I'm asking you, as a nature lover, but also as an educator, mm. you know, is, is there much data around some of the, the proven benefits to kids being outdoors? Yes. So, for example, even if you've got a child who's wearing um, shoes versus a child that's barefoot, um, there's been studies into children that are barefoot outside in nature have got better motor skills, balance and coordination. Um, also, there's been studies that in nature you are um, breathing in more microbes and, and healthy bacteria in the air. So that improves your um you know, susceptibility to picking up viruses. So you're going to be more immune. Uh, also, when you're outside, you've got more pro uh, less proximity between other children. So you're not going to be picking up lots of other germs. Mm. Um, it's a huge one for mental health. So it really helps with regulation. You know that when adults are stressed and we're feeling down and over sensory, uh, too much going on, when we go for a walk, we feel calm. And we overlook that actually this is in our DNA. Humans actually haven't really progressed rest since when we were you know primate beings we still need access to nature it's in our dna mm -hmm. and we are living in a world which doesn't support that now that's what i want to ask you lisa in your decades of experience do you feel like children are spending less time outside now well unfortunately they are and uh, autumn and i were discussing this if you look at their day you know we're spending less and less time outside i mean we had that the daily mile which was a big campaign in a in a scottish school which we tried to adopt here which is where the children should run a mile every day. And there was a big lot of research done by Aberdeen University about the impact on children's well-being. But you see here in the summer, how are we going to run a mile outside? I know. I know. Well, we're going to be talking about some tips and tricks next. And uh, Autumn's got some data that might shock, shock you about just how much time children are spending indoors versus outdoors. in the studio now by not one but two educators. We've got Autumn with us, a primary school teacher. She runs nature classes and explorations for children here in the UAE and a bit of a font of all knowledge about where to go and what to do on the nature front. And Principal Lisa, her mum, she's got years of experience in nurseries and nannying, parenting and now consulting with families on everything from sleep to potties. Autumn, nature deficiency, is this a thing? Unfortunately, yes, it is a thing. And the actual term itself is now widely used when referring to children in the current, in our current generation, because um, it's been researched that children are spending significantly less time outside than um, than I did, than you did. Um, there was a study that showed that children are spending over half time, half less times. For example, you were spending eight hours perhaps, and your children will be spending four hours outside during the week. Um, so yeah, nature deficiency and unfortunately is an is an issue globally but I do find 
that work in the UAE and the weather that we have here and the attitude towards nature, it's actually more of an issue here, I find, mm-hmm. um, which is, is sad. But just because it's an issue doesn't mean that we can't solve that. And there is lots of nature here to be found. You just have to be creative. And tuned into it. We've had the message yeah. here saying, where can we go to feed swans and ducks? So you can go to Sustainable City. There is a little, um, uh, an animal, there's a, there's a, like a farm, a mini farm. Um, it's nearby to some cafes, so it's easy to access. And you've got, you know, a donkey and some, some chickens. And... I saw two ducks today. <laughs> yeah. Jamira Islands. There you yeah. go. I think Irish Village has always got a few ducks around as well. Um, where are some of your places um, that you love to take children that you feel like, uh, you know, or maybe a bit of a hidden gem. And we're just going to tell everybody now, Autumn. <laughs> um, yeah, so I think actually it's interesting when you know that person's asked, oh, where can I feed the ducks? And I think when people think of nature, they think of, you know, the green rolling hills of Europe and home. And they think, you know, there's only nature back home. But actually, if we rethink what nature is, you can find it more here. So instead of feeding ducks, perhaps you can feed flamingos. We have flamingos that migrate here. We have um, native birds like um, hood hoods we have here so instead of going out and feeding the ducks you can feed the hood hoods in parks like Safa Park you have um, you have the mangroves in Jebel Ali which is where I'm lucky enough to take groups of children and it's mangrove season now and well hang on what happens in mangrove season so um, it's the seed season so the seeds are like um, sort of like a, a dirham size and they sort of float on the top of the water they drop down you have to collect them and then you can plant them and then they grow and mangroves are actually the unsung heroes I think of sustainability they carbon more capture um, they carbon uh, they capture more carbon thank you than any other plant so they are vital and there are more mangroves in the UAE in, in Abu Dhabi than a lot of places in the world so instead of you know looking for those European big parks we have all the nature here but you just have to be more creative in how you look at it I couldn't I couldn't agree more and I think it's something there's something so unique and serene about the desert as well. We had um, Mo Gordat in the studio recently. He was speaking to Sonal Rupani and he was saying that he lives in Dubai and I asked him where and he told me, I'm not going to tell you where because he's very famous and I don't want to reveal that. But he said, I live there because it's close to the desert. And I said, oh, we love the desert. And he went, you've made a mistake there. You should say, I love the desert. I love going to the desert because you should go there on your own. In terms of finding that serenity in that space, and it is, it's a, it's a completely different landscape than to so many of us were, you know, brought up being around. But it is just, it's just an incredible and underrated landscape, I feel. We haven't even talked about beaches, Autumn. There's, you know, there's just so, so much to enjoy here. Um, I'm, it's, no, it's no shocker when we think about children spending half the time, you know, outside compared to our generation about what they're doing instead do you mm. feel like you're kind of fighting a battle against the screen sometimes yeah so um bbc did a study on how much time children spend on on screens and it's between five to eight hours a day and if you drew a circle now of your day and you divide divided it into 12 you know segments and then you colored in how many of those you were awake and eight of those were on screens and then you look at how much time you're outside it's it's nothing in mm-hmm. comparison and look I know um, 
we have to be for technology and I'm definitely not as an, from an educator's point of view saying no screens whatsoever but we just need to be mindful of that and you know perhaps track and look at how much time we're actually spending in comparison to the outside and weigh those two things in and see if we can make some changes um, agree more. we're going to be talking about some of those practical tips we're going to be talking about some of our favorite places and forest school too what is it it's on the rise certainly in europe but how can we get involved here in the uae Bashir's asking any recommendations or products that might encourage kids to get out and about. It says the kids are seven and five. And Hillary's asking, when is a good age to start um, hiking? She's really into hiking. She's got a five-year-old. Is that too young? We are talking about some of the benefits of getting out and about in the fresh air, in nature, getting messy, especially with our little ones. With not one, but two educators. Principal Lisa is here. She's got years and years of experience in nurseries and nannying. She now consults with families here in the UAE on everything from sleep and behaviour through to potty training and weaning. And her daughter Autumn is here. You can find her on Instagram. Great resource at Miss Autumn Says. Primary school teacher. She also runs nature classes. She's talking about going out in the mangroves with kids on Friday afternoons. And is a bit of a font of all knowledge about where to go and what to do when it comes to outdoors. We've had a lot of questions for you guys. How do you feel about a quick fire on the text line? Brilliant. Okay. Uh, Bashir saying, any recommendations for products or purchases that might be nice to encourage getting outdoors? Our kids are seven and five. I love this. What, what comes to mind, Autumn? Binoculars. They are a real hit in every single one of my classes. The children are fighting over them. So a good pair of binoculars. Um, you can also get a really good book called The Field Guide to the Emirates. It's an A5 um, copy of all of the flora and fauna you can find in the UAE. Children feel like a little explorer. Um, I love that. Book. I mean, I'm, I'm putting that on my wish list for the kids for Christmas. The bird fe- watching book too. There's um, birds of uh, the UAE. The children love that because you've got a picture of each bird. So when you spot it, you can circle it in your book. So little uh, things like that. Um, harbour the nature, you know, the biologists of the future. So Please don't laugh. When I saw this <laughs> message from Bashir, I thought litter picker. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. I bought one for about 35 dirhams and my kids absolutely love it. Whenever we go camping, the litter picker goes in the boot. They go on what they call a little nature walk <laughs> and they they just get get a bit messy lisa what about you how about a little fishing net obviously not to take anything home with you but just a cheap fishing net you know that, that just on the water's edge they can see what they can have into there mm-hmm. and a magnifying glass is a really good or, and the other thing is is by um you know a microscope so that anything you can put i mean it's fascinating the world under a microscope mm-hmm. or a metal detector but the kids one you Ooh, know you can get one there's um i've seen them it's a brand called discovery i think and i've bought a couple for kids i'm we're going to talk about gifting, obviously, in December, Lisa. But there's a few things I have as my, my go-to gifts for kids. Actually, other thing, Bashir, flower press. My kids love it. Love it. Um, just for going, like, you know, in our, in our garden, but also out and about. Because um, you can make craft things with, with that as well. Um, but, yeah, the, the metal detector has always been a good one. There's a fort building kit that is always a bit of a, a go-to with, with kids um, when it's present season. And... Uh, I love that idea of the binoculars as well. Um, Hillary's been in touch on 4001 um, saying, I'm an absolute fanatic for anything to do with hiking and I've been missing a lot since our daughter was born and having moved to the UAE. I'm aware she's young. What age can we start walking together and what kind of distances or destinations would Autumn recommend? Five, I would say now. So I think, yeah, 
definitely. I follow accounts on Instagram of people taking their babies in backpacks. I mean, and also, and just um, if you're walking with your child of five, just go until you feel tired, I'd say. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and look back. Yeah. So I think you don't need to overcomplicate it. Just go see how you are and take a, a, an easy one like Wadi Shalka, for example. It's pretty flat. Um, and then each time you go, you can increase it as you go. Mm-hmm. But I don't think there's any age that's too young or too old to hike. We went to the Hatterford Hotel a few months ago and they could put together little hiking routes for families Aww. where they, you know, it takes in maybe a bit of water and a bit of, you know, a bit of goat who doesn't like, it, like, like <laughs> exactly to visit a goat on a hike? Um, so sometimes hotels can help, but there, are, as you say, there are some really great accounts. There's um, off the beaten track, which is great. Um, there is, oh my goodness, there's a, there's a few actually. I'll try. If, do you know what? If you send me the word hike, um, Hillary, I will send you a couple of my kind of favourite accounts for getting out and about. And also use Wikilock, which is what we use when, whenever we go hiking with the kids because. Yeah, mine are, mine are complete whiners. So I'm like, I want something that's around three kilometres. I want it to be not very challenging. Um, but Wikiloc as an app, it is paid for, um, is, a, is a really, really great resource. Um, I had a message here, um, anonymous message. Now, I think actually both of you will have really interesting perspectives on this. Um, Alice says, my 18-month-old hates the texture of sand on his feet. Is there something to worry about? Sensory issue would welcome any tips as we love the beach. Um, when you were in nurseries and now you're working with families, Lisa, when it comes to textures, um, could this be a sensory issue and any advice there? It's, I think anything that makes us think, oh, I'm not sure about that, is worth listening to. Um, so if, if mum feels like, yes, this is something I might want to just make a note of. So make a mental note and then, you know, see how things see how things evolve but at 18 months they're still very little Mm -hmm. and so they haven't got a great deal of context to refer back to or I remember when I felt that way and it was okay I think the thing is 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 it's a good idea to acknowledge the feelings hear those feelings be supportive and to and to say things like I can see that you're not really sure about that that doesn't feel so good for you does it you know I hear that and to persevere and maybe break it down to only do it in small bursts but to maybe do sand with socks on or sand with swim shoes mm-hmm. Is this something that when you were in schools and now you've got kids kind of out in nature autumn that, that you've noticed and know that you know that you work with older children than this No yeah it's definitely something that I see especially in the UAE where you don't have plentiful experiences to be um you know, in grass, on mud, like a lot of children that I teach are very uncomfortable to sit on grass. And instead of, you know, having an attitude that's saying, oh, well, you know, get on with it. Mm -hmm. Like my mum said, it's about slow and repeated exposure. So perhaps giving them a mat to sit on um, and then, you know, taking that mat away after time, but making sure they've got something on their legs so that they feel um, comfortable and covered. But yeah, it's just important to take a note of it. And also what you can do is bring it into the house setting so in the house children feel more comfortable and at home so if you're bringing sand in and having a little sandy uh, tray at home you're showing them when you put your feet in that it's okay and you're giggling and you know at home they or maybe even putting it in the bath Mm -hmm. but um just practice exposure and making them feel comfortable i think i've had a message saying can you please share those book recommendations again would you mind yeah so field guide to the emirates and you can get it on amazon and i've just found it it's fieldguidetotheemirates.com or indeed on amazon.ae and it looks lovely yeah and then the other one is um birds of the uae uh 
and it's a it's an elm it's an elm guide. Okay. So um, I'll have to tell you the name of the author. I can't remember, Don't but worry. I use it and I take it everywhere. And the children in my classes adore it. They look for it every time. Speaking of your classes, um, the rise of forest school education in the UK is something I'm very very envious of. When I see friends and people I follow on Instagram. Is it such a thing here in the UAE? And, and tell us what that, I guess, can and could look like. Yeah, I, I, it is definitely becoming more of a thing here. Um, I do think that it's it, we have to be a little bit mindful of it because it can be sometimes used as a bit of a marketing tool. It's a bit of a fad, of quite fashionable. But um, schools are definitely adopting it more and more. But I think we have to rethink what forest school is in the UAE. We don't have forests here per se. So it can be desert school, it can be beach school, it can be mangrove school. And what you're supposed to do is use the local climate climate and, and context of where you are. So it can be any natural setting. It could be a park. Mm-hmm. It's just your approach, basically, of taking children outside in a natural setting for a long-term period, following the children's interests. It's very play-based, letting the children lead the way. And it's not, um, you know, product-driven. It's very process-driven, uh, you know, taking our time, following the children's interests. And it's not about what you've achieved um, academically. It's about the holistic child in a nutshell. Sounds lovely. <laughs> Doesn't it? Though? It is. It's amazing. I, I absolutely love it. And lastly, um, you mentioned your mangrove adventures. For, uh, can you tell us a little bit about what that looks like, Autumn, and, and how you're working with kids? Because it sounds like a really special initiative. Yeah, um, I, I love it. I mean, for selfish reasons, it's my favourite thing to do as well. So I'm just happy that anyone uh, joins me along. But um, on Fridays, so when we break up from school early, I thought it was a good opportunity to get the children outside. So from two till five, I run a programme called Gazelles. And the reason I called it Gazelles is because children like to feel like they're part of a community. And we always see gazelles every time we go. So it's in Jebel Ali and it's a, it's a private reserve. So... Um, you have to get taken you know with a guide and there's an amazing man who is my complete idol who is top of conservation in the UAE called Major Ali and he you know does a lot of mangrove planting there he's built the whole forest himself so I take groups of children there and we do things like mangrove planting and we do things like bird watching crab crabbing we always put the crabs back but (laughs) sounds blissful yeah it's lovely where can people find out more about you and what you're up to here in the UA in terms of connecting kids to nature or reconnecting kids to nature yeah I always say that reconnecting um so you can go onto my website which is www.thenaturecaravan.com and you can fill in the contact me and also you can just send me a dm on instagram and uh, at that, miss autumn says yeah, yeah. if you if you want to just send me the word nature i will send you autumn's account so you can find out more there's information about the nature caravan that she's running at bounty beats and i know you and your mum are working together as well which is lovely um and lisa i know we'll obviously have you back on in about a month's time but in the meantime for anyone that is struggling with sleep weaning toilet behavior issues with their little ones how best to reach you oh i love to hear from anyone just send me a dm let me know what's going on and it's just at, at principal underscore lisa on instagram you are super nanny she is indeed story times and more and could we do an adult one <laughs> i actually would love to do Can an adult one we need it more than anything i quite agree okay we'll make a plan We'll do we'll do the the, the girls in the mangroves. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so so much. Autumn and Principal Lisa in the studio.
we are delving into the realm of the human psyche as we explore shadow work, aiming to uncover some of the hidden aspects of the mind, discussing how the power of self-discovery, acceptance maybe, and revealing some secrets of embracing our shadows. I'm not going to lie, I'm a little bit nervous about what the next half hour holds, but Guiding us through the topic of shadow work is Dr. Tharai, clinical psychologist at the Human Relations Institute and Clinic. How are you, Dr. T? I'm well, uh, Helen. How are you? I'm well, if confused and slightly concerned. (laughs) So for our listeners and indeed me, um, who might not be familiar, can you please explain what shadow work is and I guess how it relates to psychology? Well, I guess before we talk about shadow work, we have to talk about the shadow self. And so um, the psychoanalyst, the exceptional psychoanalyst, Carl Jung, um, first talked about this concept a long time ago, and he used the shadow self to describe pretty much the things that we do not like to acknowledge about ourselves. Uh-huh. And so these are, these are kind of the things that he saw it as kind of the uncivilized or even primitive side of our nature. But the reality is, is that each one of us has a shadow self. And he used the word shadow very very um, accurately because it's it's a part of who we are that is kind of quote unquote the darker side of us that mm-hmm. we really don't like to uh, acknowledge or we really don't like to um, admit that yeah. is there. So it's not necessarily a bad thing, but these are traits that we possess that we would prefer to not possess. And and to really talk about the shadow self, we have to understand that all characteristics and traits of our personality are on a continuum. So there's no such thing as a person who's never been rude or never been unkind or never been selfish, right? So Mm -hmm. when we think of these things, we usually try to think of characteristics in black and white. I'm a kind person. I'm this, I'm that. Where in fact, we are on a continuum. Some days we can be extremely kind and some days we can be okay and some days maybe not so kind. <laughs> Couldn't agree more. Um, it's, that is, okay, so this is interesting in itself because I think a lot of us don't like to admit that, that we have, and I'm not going to say a darker side, but there are traits that we might not like about ourselves. Mm-hmm. Do you think there are any people who just don't, who are just literally sweetness and light and they've never had an unkind or cruel or ungenerous thought in their lives? No, good. <laughs> no, I good. don't believe that. And neither did Carl Jung, to be honest. Well, if it's good enough for you and Carl, then I'm with you. Now, <laughs> shadow work seems to be gaining popularity. Um, mm-hmm. There's been a massive boom on TikTok. And one book in particular, which is called The Shadow Work Journal, has sold, I think, about half a million copies. Why do you think people are becoming more interested in this concept? What, what do you think is you know, drawing us to explore the shadow Well, essentially, when we talk about shadow work, it's basically this idea of working with your unconscious mind to to bring to light and bring to consciousness the parts of yourself that we kind of repress and we hide from ourselves. Right. And this could even be trauma, but it could also be the things that we don't like to admit about ourselves. Mm -hmm. That's why I actually asked you to do a trigger list, you and Panam, both of you, because, (laughs) because the interesting thing about a trigger list is basically that what we see in others and that trigger us in others are actually the things that we don't really like about ourselves. I knew it. Okay. <laughs> do you have my list? I do you? have your list, yes. Oh, my gosh. And okay. thank you for being so honest and doing your homework, Helen, to be honest, because this is great. I mean, I, I think it's 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 a testament to, to kind of learning how to tap into your unconscious and being truly, truly honest with yourself about what you do. Okay, do you want to read out my trigger list? 
Sure. <laughs> Your trigger list was cruelty, dishonesty, rudeness, inability to empathize, argumentative, manipulative, and excessively competitive. So this is, I was asked to provide a list of kind of so-called <laughs> negative traits in other people. And as I suspected, that, that mirror has you. been Absolutely. held up to me. <laughs> <laughs> so what does that reveal then, Thraya? So what, what it basically shows is that this is part of your shadow self, that these are things that you actually judge yourself quite harshly on whenever you do engage in them. And this mm. is not to say that you engage in it consistently, but it's just to say that when you can be, let's say, argumentative or unempathetic or manipulative or, or excessively competitive, that you tend to be quite harsh internally with yourself on. So this is what we look into when we talk about shadow work is, is, is being able to kind of really give yourself that sense of self-awareness and ultimately self-acceptance and compassion. So, so it's felt very revealing. What, what are the benefits then? And I don't want to say to owning up, but I guess to recognizing that shadow self, because a lot of people are spending a lot of time really self-examining, self-reflecting. And mm -hmm. I just worry, is that just going to make us feel bad about ourselves? What's the upside? Well, actually, we, we, in the beginning, we feel a little bit bad about ourselves because we start to judge. But by accepting your shadow self, you really start to see how your thoughts and emotions influence your behavior. And when you become aware of this, you can take control and empower yourself to live the life that is more authentic to you. So you actually learn to gain more confidence and more self-esteem. You improve your creativity. You build better relationships. You learn and practice self-acceptance and self-compassion. You actually are, are improving your overall wellness, but mostly you're increasing your compassion towards others, which helps you minimize the amount of triggers you have with other people. So you actually live a much more peaceful life because you're no longer triggered by others because the same compassion you award yourself, you start to award others. It is the Psychology Hour and clinical psychologist, Dr. Thraya. She's joining us from the Human Relations Institute and Clinic is with us to guide us through the topic of shadow work. Um, we've just been talking there about exploring your shadow side um, and really understanding that what might trigger you in other people might be something that you could judge yourself harshly on when you exhibit those behaviours or those traits. Um, I wanted to ask you about social media, Dr. Thraya, because I feel like when we're thinking about embracing our darker side, it's very easy to forget that everybody has that. You know, we're mm -hmm. super fast paced, social media only highlighting the positive aspects of people's lives. So how relevant is shadow work and can it help navigate some of the pressures of comparison, societal expectations even? Definitely. And I think, you know, it, it also helps us become less judgmental. And, you know, you know how social media is, Helen, you know, more than anybody. Right now I do. It, <laughs> yeah, when it comes to... Judgment. It's very easy to judge, not just anonymously, but, you know, the things that, that we, we see, we are easily triggered, and especially those that will end up throwing words like, oh, I'm offended by what you're saying. These are the individuals that are not really tapping into their shadow self mm -hmm. and not really recognizing their unconscious kind of um, or subconscious, uh, like, factors at, at play here, right? And so I think... Even the, the more you are on social media, the more likely you should be doing a lot of shadow work. So what does that look like when we talk about doing shadow work? We've had a message from Priya saying, super interesting topic. We're so busy that we don't self-reflect. Self Do you think the journal is worth getting? So talk to us about what's... I mean, I, I sent you a list on WhatsApp, which, you know, I, I spent a few minutes 
reflecting on. I don't feel like I've done the work. So what can that look like, Thraya? Well, um, I think the first thing that you want to do is be a very curious observer when it comes to yourself. So try to come at the things that you're experiencing with awareness, curiosity, and intention, not so much judgment and criticism. And by practicing that kind of non-judgment towards yourself and journaling as well as meditating, these things can be very helpful to kind of tapping into your shadow work and your shadow self. And, and know that, you know, when you're working with not just dreams, but also with journaling your feelings, it, it, it gives you an opportunity to move away from blaming others for things that happen in your life to mm. really recognizing what your role is and what your responsibility is in, the, in, in, in your own story and your own narrative. And what about challenges that can come up? What, you know, what can be obstacles or issues that you know, people face when engaging in shadow work, Dr. Ryan? You know, can you I overcome them? I have to them? definitely say ego and defensiveness. So those are two things and not ego from like the id, the ego, super ego, but the ego in terms of like the more colloquial way of using it in terms of, you know, protecting yourself from recognizing that, no, we all have a shadow self and then recognizing our shadow self, it gives us the opportunity to actually grow. So, but that can be very difficult, mm-hmm. especially when we're not used to it, and especially if we're extremely judgmental towards ourselves. Um, we've had a message from Tony saying, what if I don't want to self-examine? <laughs> Well, you're allowed to. You're allowed to not do this work. I mean, you know, there's there's no shame or blame in not engaging in this kind of work. The the idea is that you don't want to just follow trends. You want to be ready for something like this because there's also something that we call the dark the dark night of the soul, which is basically this idea that you know when we start to do this this not just shadow work but any kind of work, internal work, we end up going through a lot of. Um, experiences of of negativity and and just harshness in our existence. And that can be very overwhelming. So there's also a time and place where you can be intentional and mindful in order to start this type of work. Well, that's what I wanted to ask you, you know, for those who are, you know, really serious about exploring their shadows, but maybe feeling uncertain or overwhelmed, is there a role of a trained professional such as yourself in this? And, you know, what role would that be in supporting individuals on their shadow work journey? Well, of course, I think definitely there's so much benefit than uh, to visiting a mental health professional when it comes to doing your shadow work. And, and I think the, our biggest role is to guide people to be more self-compassionate, to be more accepting, but also to learn to go slow and to not try to rush through things like this. Can I ask you what's on your list, Daraya? I can give you two of them because uh, they're right off the top of my head when I've done my shadow work. I was able to really work through one of them, but the other one I'm kind of okay with. (laughs) So stubbornness was on my my trigger list and controlling was also on my my trigger list. So controlling I've really dealt with and that's kind of completely um, at bay for me. But stubbornness I'm actually okay with having as part of my trigger list. So I'm not actually judgmental towards others because I know I can be extremely stubborn myself. Okay, it is really, really interesting. It's really interesting. So back to Priya's question, do you think the journal is worth getting? As I said, it sold half a million copies. I mean, book talk is real, the TikTok influence on people buying books. Mm. Um, when it comes to having something to work through rather than, you know, sitting down with a blank piece of paper, and I'm not, not talking about this book in particular necessarily, but can there, are there any tools, resources, websites that can be helpful? 
I, I think, you know, any kind of journal that, that highlights shadow work, but that is really inspired, inspired by Carl Jung, that could be very helpful. I don't know the, the particular one that you had mentioned, but I can say that as long as it, it follows the path of Carl Jung, then it's definitely going to be something that can be beneficial. But there's a lot of trendy books that are out there that may not necessarily follow this kind of shadow work. Mm-hmm. And so that might lead you down a completely different path. Any other recommended reading? Um, and what are you reading right now? I always find it fascinating to see what you're kind of delving into. I'm reading uh, Gabor Mate's um, In the Realm of Hungry Ghosts. Interesting. It's, uh, it's an addiction book. It's actually very interesting. I just listened to a podcast with him a couple of weeks ago and it was talking about how much he regretted doing the Prince Harry interview. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. <laughs> um, that's It's well worth a listen talking about what a traumatic year he's had. And he's, he's speaking out at the moment on current events in terms of trauma. Mm. Um, really, really worth um one, one, to, one to read um, if you do have the headspace for it. Dr. Thryer, thank you so much for your time thank today. You, really interesting and love to tap into a topic that you're passionate about. and Some self-reflection people getting honest with ourselves. I'm like, oh, over-competitive. I always think that I'm not a competitive person, but my shadow work <laughs> lists suggest that maybe I am. And I'm going to reflect on that, Dr. Dean. Thank you. Bye. We'll see you very soon indeed. Dr. Thryer speaking to us from the Human Relations Institute and Clinic. I love a busy studio and we've got three guests with us today from Dubai English Speaking College because TEDx Youth is launching next week with an all-star roster of speakers and we've got the team behind it with us. From the teaching staff, we've got Mr. Peter Flynn. Mr. Flynn, I'm, so, I'm sure you're commonly, commonly called. Nora Alex is with us today, the head organiser, and Iman Assad, the head of curation and engagement. Um, Mr. Flynn, I'd like to start with you if you don't mind because I know TEDx and TED mm. in... You know, YouTube form have come across some amazing um, topics and experts on it. But I'm not so familiar with the youth aspect. Tell us a little bit about the concept, if you don't mind. Well, to be honest, Helen, I'm much the same as you. My job is as the head of academic enrichment, and I have to give the students those kind of extra enrichment opportunities outside the classroom. And it was actually Nora Alex, who's going to be speaking today, who came to me with this idea. And as soon as I saw it, I jumped at the chance, not only for the intellectual content and the public speaking, but because it was such an opportunity for student leadership and for this incredible team that she's managed to put together. So tell us then, have, have there been any speeches, any talks that you particularly enjoyed that made you go, oh, this could work with students. We should bring this to death. Sure. A wide range of talks, I mean, listening to them, because there are certain ones that really hit for students, especially those that we learn about study skills, about management, and those are the ones that really interested me in the youth aspect of TEDx events. So the TEDx Youth event is a platform for schools to get involved in the TED's missions, which is to spread innovative ideas. So essentially, it's a platform for speakers to come and talk about under a certain theme by the students for the students. So Iman, you're the head of curation and engagement. Tell us a little bit about putting together the speakers um, because I understand there's a theme as well let's start with the theme for this event yeah so our theme was beyond the human beyond the human yeah and we explored like how uh, people and individuals look at um, activities around them and like they try to break barriers all the time emotionally physically intellectually and that's something that we like wanted to explore in our event Um, so we first had to like 
source out speakers who we thought would fit with the team very well. And we have an amazing lineup of speakers coming in. Come on, tell us. <laughs> uh, we have Jessica, uh, who's like a Paralympian swimmer, and she has a robotic arm. So she's going to talk about her story. And we have an AI specialist from Microsoft coming in as well. And it's just like different perspectives to the whole AI and revolutionizing like theme, mm -hmm. which we want to like take up. Tell us then, Nora, about what's going to what's the event going to look like, kind of on the day. Can you paint us a picture? Because I know this is, this, I'm sure there's Excel spreadsheets for days. So <laughs> we just talked about this during our lunchtime meeting today. So, so, so what's going to be happening? When and where? And can you give us a bit of a rundown of the lineup and the, the sure. flow? Sure, uh, listening audience, hint, hint. You will find a robot welcome you to, welcome you to the event on the day <laughs> at our school gates, um, where you'll then be taken to our main auditorium, where we will listen to our two speakers um, and the best part or I think the different part of our event is the society breakout rooms so it allows you to escape the auditorium for a bit and engage in the theme through different subject applications which are taken up by the six form societies run by students um, and then we'll have two other students as well speaking at the event so that's the lineup. I'm in, in awe of anyone that puts on events it gives me massive anxiety because there's all these moving <laughs> parts that need to come together what's been the most challenging part of being the head organizer of the TEDx youth event Nora? I wouldn't say it's been challenging, but the learning point for me has been to be adaptable and flexible. Mm. So working with the team, I, as a leader, I had to really assign roles and delegate ways that worked best with different personalities. And on top of that, to work under a bigger school team because we're students, but we're under the teachers as well who yeah. are you know, executing a lot of things in the school. So working with changing dates and changing you know, orders coming in this day and you know, having to fix up these dates and you know, send these things by in here and there. Um, so yeah, adaptability and flexibility are the two of the things. That I do what have you this. seen come to light in terms of the benefits to the students involved? Well, I have to say I've been humbled and I've learned a great deal about organisation from watching the students. One thing that Nora hasn't mentioned is we're opening up a new auditorium and it's been constructed as I speak now. Crikey. So Nora yeah. and the team have been liaising with the teachers and the construction team so that we can make it a really successful event. And the organisational skills that I've seen, in particular the auditioning of speakers, which was a magnificent event because it involved a lot of people mm -hmm. with only two speakers. Mm -hmm. So they were disappointed speakers, obviously. And I was very impressed by the way the students handled that. You've also been doing some social media to encourage engagement. Aman, tell us about the role that you think tech has in getting students on board and get the, getting them excited. Tell us about what we've been creating. Oh, I think that had a major play in how many participants we've already got signed up for the event. And we had a lot of marketing activations throughout the coming, like the weeks before the event. Um, some of them were like maze games uh, during our school days and like during break times. And there's so, been so many signups on it. Uh, it's just like brought everyone together and it's just heightened the excitement level for the event. And everyone's been really buzzing and looking at what they could um, come and see at the event. Tell us then, Nora, for, for those in the desk community, um, what, uh, what 
how can people get involved in all of that? Is is it sadly closed right now in terms of coming along? No, not yet. So our registrations are still open for this week and we're just hoping to see an audience that coming in with open minds and open hearts to, you know, take in and be transformed in this journey. Um, as, an, as a new event to the school, we really hope that, you know, we have a lot of engagement and participation and um, this becomes a cherished tradition for years to come. It sounds like this could be a really brilliant jumping off point from your point of view in terms of enrichment for the organisation side, mm. the engagement side for, you know, students coming up and putting themselves mm. out there. Um, with your role in terms mm. of enrichment, Mr Flynn, yeah. um, where, do, where do you think some of the kind of future opportunities could lie with TEDx in particular? Well, the universities are telling us, Helen, that the supercurricular, as they call it, the stuff that goes beyond the curriculum is what really distinguishes top students. Mm -hmm. And we have 25 subject societies in our enormous sixth form that range from engineering to medicine, etc. And TEDx is a really exciting new development. I think the public speaking element of it is very, very important. But as I said before, I think that the student kind of led element of it is just as important. So we're hoping that it becomes an annual event now watch this space huge congratulations guys thank you so much yeah. as i said i know planning a wedding is nothing compared to what you've been doing but, but the organization side is really 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 admirable to recognize something that can be brought into school and bring that community together to have as you say have students there with with open minds and be learning from some people who've got such great insights or there will be opportunities that are going to be filmed for anyone else that wants to see it yes all yeah. our TED talks will be recorded and published on YouTube and you can follow us for any post and pre-event engagement as well thank you so so much Nora Iman and Mr Flynn joining us from Dubai English Speaking College their TEDx youth is launching next week with that all star cast <laughs> And thank you for downloading this episode of the Afternoons with Helen Farmer podcast. Don't forget, you can subscribe. You'll get it direct to your phone as soon as it's out. And you can listen to me live on Dubai Eye 103.8, Monday to Friday between 2 and 5 p.m. You've been listening to a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. To enjoy lots more from Dubai Eye in the United Arab Emirates, just go to DubaiEye1038.com or find them wherever you normally get your podcasts.